celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. On the other end of that phone, Judy, she's screening your calls for Dr. Debbie and dog father Joey Villani. <laughs> Lady bug the studio stunt dog. Yes, she gets lots I think of calls. More calls than uh, the doctor gets. Pretty, pretty sure about that. I think she actually uses this phone line as her own personal <laughs> toll free uh, phone line. She's a smart dog. I thought- I yes. thought I'd seen her on the phone. Uh, but uh, anyway, in just a few minutes, Doc Halligan is going to be on. She's going to tell you what to do with that cat poop. What not to do with mm-hmm. it. What to do with it and what not to do with it. <laughs> yeah. she'll, she'll, tell, she'll tell us what okay. to do with it, too. Because, you know, a lot of people, they uh, they take that cat poop right out of the litter and they flush it down the toilet. Ah. Yeah, I know. I don't do that because it would plug up my toilets. But apparently there's more reasons why you shouldn't do that. I bet you could even really? guess. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's the same reason that you shouldn't flush your narcotics down the toilet you're poisoning a water, water supply. supply so but she'll she'll explain that in just a few minutes right here on animal radio also we got this guy who's uh dr stephen katz i shouldn't say guy a very well-known doctor he has a cannabis-based treat for your animals and i'm a little concerned it's actually a therapy it's not just treats it's yeah. supposed to actually it's therapeutic there's things that's supposed to be doing for their joints and for itching and it's not just but i treat. thought you shouldn't give pot to your animals i don't know i there's a lot of studies out i i'm not sure anymore well, we'll is he find- handing out samples edibles i'm just wondering I'm, listen i'm just well, asking i understand because anything that i uh feed my animals i want to try first I do That's try right. first. You know I try every cat food and every dog food that, that my animals eat. That's why your breath smells so bad. It yeah, smells fishy. It, it, and sometimes venison <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, we digress. And uh, what, what are you working on over there in the newsroom, Miss Brooks? Hey, we know why Ladybug is costing you guys money with her expensive habit of talking on the phone. Uh-oh. Um, I'm going to tell you about a dog who went out to go potty. And came back a thousand dollars richer. Wow, that never yeah, happens. So she's to making me. money. <laughs> okay, that's. I could go into the restroom all day. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. I happens. still do, but nothing yeah. happens. <laughs> oh, you have to stick around to find out how that story ends right here on Animal Radio. Okay, are we ready to go to the phones? Let's do it. Well, hey, Robert. Hey, hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. How can we help you today? I got the entire dream team here. <laughs> Well, I just recently acquired a uh, six-month-old Great Dane puppy, and we took her in for her checkup, and everything looked good except for she was diagnosed with entropion in the left lower lid. Okay. And it was pretty, and I noticed there was a lot of drainage before I went in, so I had asked about it. He said, "Yeah, that's that. What happens is the little hairs are poking her in the eye and irritating the eye." He said uh, he was. You could tell it was it was uh, very uncomfortable for her. And mm-hmm. She had a lot of drainage, and she was always pawing at it, rubbing it, and it looked like, you know, she had sucked the eyeball back into the socket. And he said, "Yeah, that dogs can do that, and they do that to protect the eye." Mm-hmm. So he suggested. He said, "You know, it looks like it's really bothering her," and he said, "You know, she we're going to spade her in two weeks." He said, "We could probably go ahead and fix the eyelid at that time." So then the, the the guy that bred the dog asked if he could we could bring the puppy into his vet. So we did, and that vet said, "Oh, that dog's way too young to do the surgery. That I wouldn't recommend it at this point." She said, "There's ointments and you know tear stuff that you can put in it to keep the dog comfortable, 
but you know, and then of course I'm getting a lot of opinions from a lot of different people. I went mm-hmm, back to my sure. vet and kind of voiced those concerns, and he said, "I've done this on dogs that long young many times." He said that's it's always worked. Uh, he said, "But if you want to go out and get some other opinions, that's fine." Mm-hmm. But his opinion, the dog would be fine. He's done it before, and very successfully. Uh, the, he said, and then of course both of them indicated that some of the problems the dog might have if you don't fix it is, uh, you know, scratching the cornea or irritating the cornea and ulcers and all kinds of other things that might come down the line. And my honest opinion, I just hate to see her living with this misery. Sure. Doc, tell me what's uh, going there on. Were some, there were some other procedures that they said you might want to try, like tacking or something of that nature. Okay. And I just really right. don't know what to do. So let me bring Hal and everyone else into the loop of things. We're, tra- we're talking about entropion, E-N-T-R-O-P-I-O-N, entropion. So right. what it is is basically it's a, um, a rolling in of the eyelid, which puts hairs, which are normally facing the outside of the body, and rubbing them up against the cornea, the clear oh. part of the eye. And okay. that causes pain because the cornea is not supposed to be touching things. And anyone who gets hair in their eye knows what that feels like. Or if you get a scratch on your All contact right. lens, you know how painful it is. Mm. So um, that is something we don't want dogs to live with, and we do want to surgically repair. So the big question here, and I think the the concern that this this caller has is really what is the what is the best timing for that? And it really depends on a couple factors. Ideally, if the pet is not having distress or active ulcers, we would prefer to wait till the majority of the pet's growth is done. Um, and for a large breed dog, that would be maybe between 10 to 12 months of age. And the, the reason for that is, is that we, we don't want to have to set ourselves up to do two surgeries because it is possible if we correct this now, we may either overcorrect it or undercorrect it. So we want to wait till that full um, head growth is over with and that we know that we've got the eyelids we're going to be dealing with for the rest of her life. So that's the reason we would want to wait. The, the situations where I don't wait is when we actually have uh, an active corneal ulcer because that means that we've got a painful dog that has injury to the cornea and unless we really make some moves to correct that, um, we're really setting ourselves up for problems. So the question is, in those situations, what do we do? We can um, actually do the corrective surgery where we repair the eyelid um, conformation and put sutures in, or there's what we call tacking. And tacking is historically done on young puppies, so just under a couple months of age, because it's a short-term temporary fix until those dogs can grow into their eyelids. Um, and that's just kind of a temporary suture that's put in the, um, not in the eyelid sections, but more in the haired area. And those just kind of stay there, take away the irritation, the rubbing on the eye, and uh, then we can get to a point where the pet's a little bit older and more grown. So, you know, I'd have to say you're kind of really in that zone there right now. If your pet is having a lot of discomfort where the eye is recessed, and that's what that means. It isn't, that means that that eye is in pain uh, when they retract that globe into their eye. So if she's in a lot of discomfort or she's got an ulcer, you know what, you know, I would, I would embrace um, repairing that at this point. But I think that's between you and your veterinarian that can look at her right now. Yeah. Um, the the purist that would say, you know, let's put it off until later. If if everything's going well and we can keep your baby comfortable, that might be the ideal situation for um, things there. Yeah, she so. does she does squint a lot and kind of keep it closed. You can you can kind of look at her and she's got it mostly closed and mm-hmm. squinting and rubbing at it, so you can tell she's in a, a fair amount of discomfort. Yeah. And that's my and, thing is, is I just hate to see her like that for any prolonged period of time. 
Yeah. And that would be the thing is that, you know, if you repaired that right now is knowing, you know, we might not correct it as much as we need to, or we might overcorrect it. And if you're okay with that right now, um, then I don't see a reason that you shouldn't have the surgery done. Um, and making sure right now that we are doing things to help her out. We are giving her pain medication, like maybe right. tramadol for the uh, corneal pain, that she is on a protective lubricant in the eye or even an antibiotic if necessary. And if we're not right. doing those things, I would certainly do those before I'd make a decision on this. Yeah, we've been using, like, uh, they told us to get that, what is that, artificial tears and stuff to mm-hmm. keep the eye nice and moist uh, okay. in, in the meantime. Um, it's just, you know, so the, the only downside on that is we might have to go in and do a second procedure if it doesn't correct completely or overcorrected. Yeah. We might have to go in and have a second procedure. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't see a downside to that other than the fact that it's going to cost a little more money, so... Right. And nobody wants to have two surgeries. That that would be the other thing. But yeah, if you're more right. worried about addressing her comfort level and fixing it now, then I think she's close well, enough. And, to this and point. I, pref- I prefer to get it before it starts causing a lot of tr- damage to the cornea or anything like that. Oh, absolutely. So. Well, you have your baby's best uh, best uh, needs at heart. So that's uh, that's admirable. And, and thank you for rescuing and saving a life. So now, so your suggestion would be if she's in a lot of discomfort, Go ahead and have the procedure if you're not worried about having a second one down the road. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I wanted to hear. I, uh, she goes in to be spaded in two weeks, so I wanted to address this before we got in there. Absolutely. So I appreciate the help. Thanks for your call, Robert. Yeah, if you need a second opinion, Dr. Debbie's here to give you a second opinion. And a third opinion. You should hear her. She has opinions all day long. She's a very opinionated, opinionated lady. <laughs> You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hey, it's Alan Cable with another dog tip. I go to the dog park a lot. Sometimes I even bring my dog. And I see people there communicating with their dogs like they would another person. Talking to them like they're human. There's nothing wrong with that. But just so you know, your dog has no idea what you're saying. Your dog will never learn how to speak or act like a human. But you can definitely learn to speak dog. Your dog watches you a lot. He's studying your body language. Do you carry yourself like a strong, confident, and compact leader? Or do you get frazzled easily? Your dog is very sensitive to your state of mind. Dogs are always trying to find their place to find themselves within a pack. If you're a strong, confident, secure pack leader, you make that job a lot easier for your dog. So your dog will be much calmer. We've all seen the dogs at the park that are barking constantly and acting like nervous wrecks. That's because they are. Most of the time, dogs like that have been forced into the position of being the pack leader. And that's just not comfortable for them. They need you to step up and be the pack leader. And how do you do that? Well, by learning to speak dog. Your dog watches what you do. He's not concerned with your words. So if he enters the house first, he's in charge. If he walks ahead of you on a leash, he's in charge. If he disrespects your space or other folks and jumps on you, he's in charge. If you let him bark like crazy and run amok, he's in charge. The question is, how do you become the pack leader? It all starts with leash training and knowing how to give your dog a correction and only praising for the desired behavior. When he doesn't, you ignore him or you correct him. What is a correction? Pretty much it's like a tap on the shoulder. You're redirecting the dog's attention, putting him in the frame of mind you want him to be in. It's really important that you walk your dog, get all that energy out. It'll make him calmer and easier for you to train. You want him to walk at your side or behind you, not in front. Let your arm be relaxed down at your side. No tension. With a little slack so that you can flick your wrist when you need to and cause a correction. Of course, you're going to need a choke chain or something similar. You might have to correct him many times before he gets the idea he needs to walk right by your leg and not pull. But he will get the 
idea. Use the heal command a lot. Just that one word. Just be consistent. Don't lose your patience. Be calm. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. (laughs) Oh, grab your animals, bring them around the radio. We have our animals here. We're very lucky, very blessed to have our animals in the studio and, and working with us. Except for today, Lori, it looks like you're all alone in there in the newsroom. What's yeah, up with that? It's quiet, isn't it? It is quiet. More quiet than usual, <laughs> I've noticed. Yes. Let's see. We're going to head to the phones in just a couple of minutes for your calls for Dr. Debbie and dog father Joey Villani. Don't forget you can get your fix of Animal Radio anytime you want with the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's made possible by Fear Free Happy Homes, helping your pets live their happiest, healthiest, fullest lives at home, at the vet, and everywhere in between. Visit them at fearfreehappyhomes.com. And thanks, Fear Free, for underwriting Animal Radio. Well, hello, Margie. How are you doing? Well, my uh, I have a female Cavalier King Charles. She's seven years old, and uh, she went in and had a test that she had a urinary tract infection. And then the doctor noticed that in the last eight months, she had lost half her weight. She was 26 pounds eight months ago, and she's 13 now. And you didn't notice this? Holy cow. Well, yes, I did, because before that, the visit before, she was very heavy. So we we put a mixture of diet dog food and regular dog food together. So she'd lose a little weight. We expected her to lose weight, so which she did, but I didn't expect it to be. I mean, That's dramatic. Yeah, off, she couldn't even jump up on the bed because she was so heavy. Mm, so okay. we thought we were doing the right thing. The vet even told us she had to lose some weight. So we took a blood test, and she said she has a uh, protein deficiency, and okay. that that might be the problem of her weight loss. So let's see. So is she having other symptoms as well as anything like diarrhea? Is she vomiting? No, that's exactly what the vet asked. And I was surprised she's not. 
did they describe what kind of proteins? Because when we talk about there's total protein and then there's albumin and globulin, when we interpret those, it's important to know what types of proteins are abnormal. So I doubt that we could call what she has a protein deficiency. She has hypoproteinemia, which means she has low levels of proteins in her blood. So the, the, the thing we have to really look at is what's causing that. And there are a whole big categories of reasons why uh, a dog or cat's protein levels will be low in their body. Um, we may have problems with, say, kidney disease, where we lose protein in the urine. We can have problems with liver disease where they don't produce enough protein. Um, there can be intestinal disorders where they leak protein into their intestinal tract or even problems like um, Addison's disease, which is a hormone type problem. So those are some of the kind of big categories. The thing that I would be really curious to know on your dog's particular situation is if those albumin and globulin, the two categories of protein, if they're both low. If they are both low and she's been losing weight, then that really kind of scooches me into that one category of intestinal disease. So even though a pet doesn't have vomiting, doesn't have diarrhea, and may or may not even have weight loss, there could still be significant intestinal disease going on um, that we could be leaking proteins into the intestinal tract. The fact that your dog is dropping a lot of weight, yeah, I'd say that's a that's a, a definite a big indicator to me that there may be something going on there. So the quick answer is this needs more investigation. Um, So there's not necessarily a single diet that's going to be appropriate to treat that. But there are a whole category of what we call protein-losing enteropathies that do benefit from low-fat diets. And what that does is it basically helps um, the, the body to retain protein in the intestinal tract. So instead of leaking that out, they can retain their own protein. But there's other causes of, you know, why they would leak protein besides what we call PLE or protein losing enteropathy. So there can be other secondary problems. So cancer can still be on the table here. So we do have to kind of consider that. Um, Inflammatory bowel disease can cause some secondary um, protein losing issues in the intestinal tract as well. So that's why I say, you know, you need to have this followed up a little bit further with some other types of testing, whether that's... um, endoscopy with biopsies, or there's some fecal tests that we can do to test for some different enzymes. You know, in the short term, you know, I don't know that in two weeks a diet change is necessarily going to fix things. Um, but if you were looking at making strategies, I would look at low-fat diets. Either there's great veterinary um, prescription diets for that purpose or kind of what we call the white diets, which are um, white meat and uh, like white rice or cottage cheese and white rice. Those tend to be oh. very um, low in fat and uh, still good digestibility. Yeah, right now she's just on... We moved her from the, obviously, the diet food. We took her off that, and we put her mm-hmm. on um, Little Caesar, like the chunky food. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's but probably... But maybe that's not it. <laughs> not one of my favorites if we're talking about low-fat and eating things oh, that are yeah. going to be healthy for the gut. But I will tell you that a lot of intestinal problems, um, these protein-losing enteropathies, are actually 
um, some of the, the low-fat foods tend to be high in fiber, and that actually can be the wrong strategy for pets that have absorptive problems because okay. the fiber actually can interfere with the body's ability to maintain um, their own protein levels. So, what should you be looking for? Well, um, I would be looking for a fat content um, below 20%. So um, most of the commercial foods are really between 20 and 30% um, fat on an energy basis, so we try to go under 20%. Should I just make her chicken and Right? You know, you could, but actually, believe it or not, turkey is a lower fat meat than chicken. So it actually would be my preference. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. You know, here at Animal Radio, the studio cats have been using the Armor Cat cat trees for two decades. And you know, cats need to scratch, claw, and climb. And unlike any other tree, Armor Cat furniture is strong durable, and really reliable. ArmorCat's best-in-class cat trees and beds all come with six-month warranties. Go to ArmorCat.com. That's A-R-M-A-R-K-A-T.com. And give your cat the tree they deserve. And get 15% off using the code ANIMALRADIO. Hi, this is Doug Gray of the Marshall Tucker Band. And forever, you'll always be listening to Animal Radio. Keep loving those pets. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. A new study says that dogs that are labeled as pit bulls sit unadopted far longer at shelters and potential adopters view them as much less attractive than other dogs. The research also proves from the University of Arizona is where they did it, by the way. It proves that the pit bull label very negatively influences a dog's chances of adoption from a shelter. It happens even though many dogs labeled pit bulls, which isn't even a breed, aren't genetically pit bull types at all. The authors of the study, published in the journal PLOS One, concluded that removing breed labels would be best for all dogs in shelters for three reasons. Number one, dogs labeled pit bulls spend more than three times longer in a shelter than similar looking dogs not labeled as pit bulls. Number two, the company a pit bull keeps apparently influences how the dog is perceived. You see, college students were shown photos of each of the same three dogs sitting next to a human. Those humans being an elderly woman, a middle-aged woman in a wheelchair, a young boy, a middle-aged kind of classic good-looking athletic man, and a rough-looking man who had tattoos. Survey respondents judged the so-called pit bulls to be friendlier and more adoptable when they were next to the young boy or the elderly woman. And the third reason they say pit bull types at shelters are more likely to be adopted if they're given no breed label. And by the way, that goes for all dogs in shelters as well. Uh, continuing on this, researchers analyzed more than 17,000 adoption records. They found that 52% of pit bull types were adopted when their supposed breed was listed. But 64% were adopted when the shelter did not use any breed labels at all. By the way, other breeds were also adopted at much higher rates. And they say Mastiff adoptions went up 15% when no breed labels were used. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. This is Greg Biffle on Animal Radio, and remember to spade and neuter your pets.
Check out Animal Radio highlights, all the good stuff without the blah, blah, blah. Browse on over to animalradio.pet. It's Animal Radio celebrating the connection with our pets. And uh, we welcome to the airwaves Dr. Doug Green. He's a psychotherapist specializing in helping kids and teens. Doc, welcome to the show. Hey, Hal. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Very good. You know, I'm looking at your book. It's called The Teachings of Sherelle, and I like this subtitle, Life Lessons from a Divine Knucklehead. And uh, first of all, who was Sherelle, and why was Sherelle a knucklehead? Uh, she was born that way, I think. But uh, <laughs> but I should I should throw in there first, just for false advertising, I'm, I'm not actually a doctor. I am a therapist, but not an actual doctor. But I have a private practice in L.A., and I'm, I'm here because of this dog, because of Sherelle. And she wasn't the smartest dog I ever knew, or the noblest, or purest breed, anything like that. She was kind of a dope a lot of the time. <laughs> but she was the greatest teacher of timeless wisdom that I ever knew. She taught you some lessons. And she taught me a lot of lessons. She uh, was in the pound when I first met her. She was just this puppy in a cage, and there was no card on the cage for her, lab- labeling anything about her. And I turned to one of the employees of the pound and said, can you tell me anything about this this puppy? And he said, oh, oh, that's Kelly's dog. Hey, Kelly, somebody wants to buy Knucklehead. <laughs> and the deal was that this puppy had been, this was a very overcrowded pound. They mm-hmm. had, uh, they wouldn't keep dogs more than four days. Mm-hmm. And she had been there five days and developed a reputation. And I'm saying there, was, there had to be a thousand dogs in there. And she already had a reputation and a nickname and this one uh, person there had kind of fallen in love with her and stolen the card so that no one could see it and put her down and just to give her a couple more days. And that's how I ended up with her. But she was knucklehead before I ever, ever met the poor thing. Maybe you can give us uh, a tease or a taste of what kind of life lessons we, we will learn from Sherelle. Well, you you got, I'll I'll give you an early one. Uh, When she was, I had her maybe two weeks and she was about three months old when I got her. And she, she had done pretty well. She had learned to use the newspapers pretty well, and she was doing okay. But, of course, accidents happen. And uh, one day I walk into my front room, and there she is under the dining room table, peeing on the carpet, on, on the rug. And, and I, I should add here one thing about her, which was weird at this point, was that she had never barked. And otherwise she seemed totally normal. Hmm. But she was she was part husky, and I know a lot of huskies don't bark, and so I thought maybe it was something right. to do with that. Um, and I thought you know it'll make her less of a watchdog, but it'll be okay because uh, she'll be quiet <laughs> and pleasant <laughs> to have around. And anyway, I, I see her under the table, this, and I walk up to her and sternly say no, and she looks around and starts to bite my leg. <laughs> no. And she turns around and starts to lick up the urine. And I say, no. And she starts to bite the table leg. And I say, no. And she starts to lick up where I'm mopping up the urine. And I say, no. And she bites my hand. And I say, no. And she turns at me and looks at me with this rage in her eyes, just furious frustration. And out of her comes this, Sound and it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I picked her up and just started, you know, kissing her face and kissing her nose. Like, I'm sorry, I know this is tough. At that time, what it hit me about that was that's the moment I fell in love with this dog. But years later, 
it struck me that really there was a profound moment there because she, as she grew older, developed the ugliest bark I've ever heard out of any dog. This horrible (laughs) sound. Just awful. And she never once hesitated to bark. She had learned early on that her voice, which, you know, her first expression with her voice was obscenities at me, (laughs) and her voice was loved and lovable. And in my work, in my uh, psychotherapy practice, what I find is so often uh, people learn the opposite. And they either, their parents will teach them, uh, oh, anything you do is fine, don't worry about it, and then they're screwed up for life. (laughs) Or, or, uh, you know, how dare you say such things, you're horrible. And what she got is, don't pee under the, no, don't be inside the house. Don't bite the table. Don't bite me. <laughs> and your voice is really treasured. And so she grew up with this belief in herself, this okayness, this you know, lack of shame that we're, we suffer so much from, that was just an incredible fountain for me of, mm. of goodness and lessons. You know, these animals, they, they live in the present. They don't. Uh, they don't have a past. They don't have a future, and that I think is one of the biggest lessons that we could really learn, huh? Yeah, they live in the moment, knowing what they've learned. They live in the moment, and that is so spectacular. And uh, you know, we, we we work so hard in it. We do our mindfulness and meditation, all that. They just have it. You know, they they have it courtesy of having smaller brains, and it <laughs> it gives them such a a joy in life. I, I find, you know, the, the example I love to give to people is when you walk out the door first thing in the morning, what what do you do first? And my take is usually you run out the door, you slam it, you lock it, you run to your car because you're running late to work, you're cussing out something, you realize you've forgotten something, you run back inside, grab that, get back in your car and you're cussing out the drivers that are in your way, and that's it. <laughs> you know me, like, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> intimately, Judy. <Jimmy. laughs> A dog, you open that door, and they're going to run outside and stop and take it all in for just one second. The ears are up. And if we did that, and you just walked out in the morning and said, wow, what a beautiful day, you know, (laughs) then it changes your whole morning. Now, you still can cuss the drivers out in the way to work because they deserve it. Of course. But (laughs) but you're in a better place. You're in a more cheerful place for it. The book is called The Teachings of Sherelle, Life Lessons from a Divine Knucklehead, the author Douglas Green. I have 10 copies to give away right now. If you're not lucky enough to get on through, head on over to Amazon.com or your local bookstore. Douglas Green. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Al. Thanks, Judy. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. She was shot, dragged by a dog, hung upside down, and then left in the household refrigerator for two days. But a duck now named Perky seems to have come back to life. A hunter's wife in Florida got an unusual greeting when she opened up her refrigerator door. A duck that her husband had shot two days earlier lifted up her head. She called her daughter, who took the duck to the vet. Perky the duck had suffered a broken leg and a broken wing, but was given to the Goose Creek Wildlife Sanctuary, where she'll live out her life in a sort of duck paradise. Now that's one lucky duck. 
I'm Brit Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. Hi, this is Elaine Boozer on Animal Radio. Stay in to your pets and some of your exes. <laughs> <laughs> I am the family dog, and it's that time of year again. The one where pet parents start looking for Fido-friendly hotels and destinations where Fido is welcome. Make no bones about it. Pets are part of the family, and we like to sniff out new places, and we hate to be turned away, especially when we're on our best behavior. So we won't be left out in the cold. Be sure to pick up a copy of Fido-friendly magazine to find the best hotels and destinations where Fido is always welcome. Go online to phytofriendly.com and subscribe today. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. What? Uh, which one are we going to? Line two, we have Robert. Hey, Robert. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks a lot. I understand you want to talk to Dr. Debbie. I do. I was listening to the radio I think last week, one weekend, I just ran across the station. They were talking about pets, and I have a little small Shih Tzu Pomeranian, and she was having a few problems. So, so what's going on it. with your baby there? She was scratching, just scratching her hind legs to where no more hair in the pack. And I bought some topical stuff. You know, they said for hot spots, and it doesn't seem to work. I was having to use it too much, and then I started thinking that it was going to be toxic for her to scratch and have that in her mouth so um i'm going to be moving where i live now there's carpet and i had a cat but she passed away she was indoor kind of outdoor and cheetah the dog is primarily indoors Mm -hmm. so i don't know if it's the fleas in the carpet i do take her to the groomer once a month at least and they give her the flea bath and i do get the advantage and at this point i don't even know if the advantage is working so i just want to know because i just hate to see her suffer yeah, definitely. And if she's got areas where she's actually getting bald and we're starting to see skin showing through, then for me, that says that the itch is significant enough. We need to kind of maybe up the ante here a little bit as far as trying some more things. And and I definitely would look, number one, at flea control and make sure all of our efforts are as, um, as thorough as we can. So right. a flea bath is great. That will help to kill those critters that are on your pet at the time, but definitely to follow up with that topical product at home. Now, the other reality is if you have a cat going inside and outside, you know, we can have a lot of opportunity for reinfestation. So your efforts could really be um, second-guessed by that kitty's activity. So let's make sure that cat is treated as well with an appropriate cat product. So I have a flea collar on her all the time. And uh-huh. like I said, I put the advantage, but I just, to me, putting the advantage by her neck is like, it's, how does it take care of the whole dog? Well, it basically it gets distributed into the glands in the skin, um, and then that way it's distributed to the the pet kind of systemically. Um, however, the the thing I think is that you know I don't know that our efforts are necessarily wrong in what you're doing, but I just want to make sure that we're still encompassing environmental control as well. Um, so if you do have a critter that's going inside and outside, even if you're treating your doggy as thoroughly as you can, we got to make sure that the environment is treated. So that may mean that we need to do some treatments inside the home um, and to that kitty as well. So I think that might be really where I'd say our efforts we would need to go. And, you know, definitely if we've been on a product and we're not seeing response after several months, then, you know, I might look 
hit another one. Um, but for me, I think there's a lot of opportunity here with uh, your household and the behavior of the animals that we could really work more on the environment. So even well, though you've got the, a new... I'm sorry, I bought the carpet flea treatment. So once I moved in here, I, I wanted to change my attitude about when it comes to cheetah. So I do mm-hmm. treat the carpets in the two rooms that have carpet. Good. So I'm happy with that then. And maybe that is what is making the difference here in, in improving your pet's uh, comfort there. Now, if for, you know, let's play devil's advocate here. And if the itching continues and we see continued hair loss, even though you've, you've got this move and these changes, then I might start looking for things along the allergy line. And so we might look at getting into some antihistamines to help control itch, maybe a fatty acid supplement that can help kind of restore the natural luster to the hair. Um, and then as far as the topical, I'm not sure what product you're using, what ingredients are in there, but um, sometimes we can find things that have uh, topical steroids that have nice anti-itch relief. But other times, really, we, we don't want to hit these pets with a lot of irritating substances and a lot of different drugs on their skin surface. We may want to use something very soothing that may be more colloidal oatmeal-based. So that might be even a, another direction. If the itch isn't quite bad and we think we got the fleas under control, that you look for something that's got kind of more that natural oatmeal base, um, and that might give her some good relief there. Well, how would I know if, it's, if she's allergic to the food? Oh, you know, someone told me that she might be allergic to her food, and right now I'm giving her, I believe it's proactive, something mm-hmm. with lamb. I don't know. I was giving her beautiful before we stopped. No, this is Imes. I'm giving her Imes now. For allergies, there are definitely inhalant allergies, you know, things that are in the environment the pet is, you know, exposed to, and then there's the food allergies. Food allergies are very difficult to prove. Um, the way that we figure that out is we actually put the pet on a hypoallergenic diet trial. So that's not necessarily saying I'm going to pick a different brand of food because that's the right. wrong approach. It's not necessarily food brand that is bad. It's food components or the ingredients. So right. with that, um, you know, we can talk about trying a hypoallergenic diet. There's oodles out there and we could probably have a conversation about 35, 45 minutes about how we approach food allergy. But the, the big thing is I talked to your veterinarian about um, that possibility. And if that is something we need to get into, for me, if I have an itchy pet, we've got good flea control. And especially if this is a young doggy, maybe six months to a year and a half, I really look at food allergies seriously. And if someone tells me they've tried a hypoallergenic diet and it didn't work, I say, we'll we'll try another. Because no pet follows the rules on which food is going to work for one pet versus your neighbor's pet. So you do sometimes have to bop around a couple different um, foods. So um, so hopefully, you know, that might be even something to look into for your youngin, because you said she's about uh, two years there about. So yeah. give that a whirl. And you know, I think we've got a, you've got a lot of good direction there with you know, the flea control and getting this baby set in the right environment. So good luck with her, and uh, hopefully that skin stays under control. And uh, give a little cheetah pat on the head for me. This is Dr. Debbie with Animal Radio. We're here waiting for your call. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hi, this is Paul Rogers. And Cynthia Rogers. On Animal Radio. Just know that it's going to be all right meow. (laughs) How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? 
We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143. That's 800-689-0143. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. The phones are ringing white hot today there's a lot of controversy about pot for pets whether or not they should have it for therapy for medicinal purposes and there's some brand new products on the market that includes uh, derivatives of marijuana we'll be talking to dr katz is that his name yes really? it is dr stephen katz okay he'll be on your name dr katz I what love do you it. know <laughs> <laughs> Lori? what are you working on over there in the palatial uh, animal radio <laughs> newsroom? um we're going to talk about uh this one couple who has just they're heartbroken because they've lost their dog uh jack russell and they have done some really outlandish things almost trying to get their dog back and trying to you know get leads and find the dog again so we're going to tell you what they've tried you know it's expensive things and if they've worked okay that's on the way i'd spend just about as much as I could to, to yep. find my animal yeah. if I got lost. Oh, we'll yeah. find out what they did. I understand some pretty crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's uh, go to the phones for your calls for Dr. Debbie and dog father Joey Villani. Well, hello, Anna. How are you doing? I'm very good. And how about you, sir? Very good. Thank you. You have such a cheery voice. Where are you calling from today? Los Angeles, California. Oh, well, that explains why you have such a cheery voice. <laughs> I'm trying to be cheery but uh, deep inside it's not because of my dog. Oh, what's going on with your dog? Tell us. Okay, so uh, my dog is uh, 15 years old and six months. He was born in Japan, and uh, we had a wonderful bonding. And uh, that was two years ago, my dog starts to have his thyroid, as per my my, um, vet. Then uh, he told me that uh, JJ is suffering from that kind of uh, sickness, the thyroid one. Then, um, well, it comes to that point, it's, uh, I felt that it's getting worse. And uh, he has his cataract. He has his uh, arthritis. And um, he is limping sometimes. He is overweight. And I guess 22 to 24 pounds. And um, uh, sometimes, and uh, lately, that was two weeks ago, he started two weeks ago, coughing nonstop during the evening. And and uh, something on his uh, last cough, uh, you know, 
a big, uh, a big uh, abrupt from that cough, the last mm-hmm. one. Okay. So I said to myself and asked opinions from my, uh, from my other uh, colleagues and my friends, why don't you let, why are you letting him suffer? And he mm-hmm. is already 15 years old and six months. And you, would you like to have that kind of suffering with him? So sometimes my first time to have a dog and I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to lose him because we had a great time together. We live in Japan. We live in Canada and right now in the United States. And I feel so guilty. It's like those kind of feeling I have right now. It's, I don't want to lose him, but okay. I should because I, don't, I love him because I don't want to suffer. So that's I why a continuous medication just to lean him up. Sure. And Anna, I got to ask you, um, you, you say what your, your friends and your colleagues have said. Have you talked to your veterinarian? Has, has your dog been in for that cough? And, and did they give you an, an assessment and, and a recommendation on what they thought was going on? No, not yet, but I have a schedule okay. this coming Friday to okay. the vet right. because okay. the vet told me it's he has his thyroid already so he have his medication and everything then okay. something happened that i felt i thought it's only a um, it's only a candle cough but it's not so it's okay. getting worse well so okay I, so i'm gonna and i'm gonna tell you a couple things here so you mentioned off a list of a lot of medical conditions that are you know acquired throughout a dog's life just like through people's lives yeah, and having know, cataracts and having having cataracts and having a thyroid problem and having arthritis is um, those are those are conditions and those can be treated effectively with medication so those by themselves aren't really reasons that I would say oh my goodness you're being cruel you know that you need to put him down because of those conditions but I do think you know this coughing is something significant that needs to be looked at yeah. Because in a, in a dog of his age, there can be some serious problems that can cause that. Some of those we can in, intervene with and help. And I do think time is a bit of the essence here in an older pet. Yeah. If we have, you know, signs That's of say his, congestive. His schedule, his schedule this coming Friday to find yeah. out and what is it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna seek advice from the vet too. So what will be the best thing? So exactly, exactly. And more, he got his cataracts and. Uh, he cannot hear anymore so i felt that my dog is not happy already and sometimes i put it on my arms and sleep together he just Mm -hmm. keep on staring at me even though this is i'm smelling at me and put his paws on my chest so i'm just only a human being that i cannot i cannot let him go but sometimes i pity him when i feel him some he cannot breathe sometimes because of the coughing. Right. So it, it is so difficult, I think, because when our pets are in these conditions or having difficulty with medical problems, you know, I think our instinct is we want to know what would I want if I was in that situation. And, and our, our pets can't always answer, answer for themselves in a verbal way, but we do need to look at some of the things that they do from time to time and, and what are their everyday activities. So for myself, 
um, I've I've counseled a lot of clients um, and pet owners through this type of process and deciding when is it time to let go. When have we tried everything we can and we don't have a quality of life? And I've gone through this myself with my own pets as well. And it is a difficult process, but the things I think there's basically kind of four criteria that I look at. And they're basic things, you know, you know, is a pet continent? Are they mobile? Are they eating? And are they kind of enjoying the quality of life? Do they retain what they used to do? So a lot of those things we can help. You know, I had an older dog that pooped in the house. I cleaned up after him. I provided areas where it was sanitary, where if he did mess, that I could keep it clean and away from the rest of the home. You know, I had a pet that couldn't walk well, so we assisted her outside. Um, we had tools to kind of help her get around. And those kind of things you can manage, but certain things like um, a lack of an appetite or losing kind of their joie de vivre, you know, their interest in doing what they used to enjoy. If your dog has enjoyed playing ball or watching the mailman come to the door or getting belly scratches, those are the kind of things, the subtle things that we really need to take into consideration when we get to the end of life discussion to really look at everything as a whole because we can try to support those medical failures, the pets not getting around, you know, anti-vomiting medicines, appetite stimulants. But if we don't have what used to make your dog your dog and that joyful bond that I can tell that you, you've had through these years, then that's really more so than when I have other people telling me it's time to put a dog to sleep. That's, that's when people say right you're now, you will know. Yeah, I, I'm on, I'm in the middle of decision right now. If I'm gonna mm-hmm. let him go, but it's painful. I cannot. It I is. can't do it. So we're leaving. We're leaving this next week, going to Canada because so that my parents will saw him as last glass before he loses and everything. So I don't know yet. So it's still hanging on there. So I just need only mm-hmm. my, uh, just, of course, when I hear your radio station, I said to myself, maybe I'm going to give a try so that I can be calm too as well. Yeah. I, yeah. That's why I'm just going to get this kind of opportunity. And thank you very much for okay, listening well. to me. Absolutely. My thoughts go out to you and your your baby. And definitely, this is where a veterinary professional really can help you kind of fill in those blanks when it comes to what we can or can't do from here forward. That's why for me, I don't know yet if I'm going to let him sleep or not, because my feeling is just go, no, go, no, something like that. Because I know that my dog is just like putting his paws on my chest and I know he cannot see, but smelling on me. I don't know mm-hmm. what is it all about. So, I don't know. I feel guilty. I just felt so guilty about it. No, you shouldn't. I mean, this is the end of life decisions for pets. I mean, that's how you, you really show your love. It, it really is. I firmly believe that. they've Your pets have given us so much through their lifespans. It is the final way we can give that back. Yeah, and, the uh, bottom line is, I, I, he's no he's no longer dancing anymore dancing mm-hmm. yeah. then he doesn't he doesn't I felt that he's no he's not happy anymore mm-hmm. so that's why I pity him 
Oh. Well, Anna, all of us are putting our arms yep. around the, the the radio right now, and we are just giving you a big hug, and we're with you. Um, as fellow pet lovers, we know what you're going through, and uh, you know, we're thinking of you. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Alan Cable spending the best part of my day with you. Last week, there was a story of a restaurant manager who got into a physical confrontation with a customer who had a service dog. Service dogs are really important to a lot of people. Many times, they can mean the difference between life and death. So I wanted to present this story to you. Yeah. His name is Johnny. He's eight years old, and he just got a life-saving dog. There you go, Johnny. Here's your test. His blood sugar needs constant monitoring. Diabetes is a 24-hour constant worry. Johnny's got a little dog named Hero now who's a diabetic alert dog. They don't run on batteries, they run on love. She can actually smell when his blood sugar is too low. And then she nudges up against him. If that doesn't work, she gets help. I know it's just going to be an amazing thing for him. And if anything happens, the dog will come. Feels like she's my friend. His mom already sees the difference. I think it's going to give him more freedom, more confidence. Now he's not just the kid with diabetes. Now he's like a kid with diabetes and a cold dog. This is Animal Radio. You know, here at Animal Radio, the studio cats have been using the Armor Cat cat trees for two decades. And you know, cats need to scratch, claw, and climb. And unlike any other tree, Armor Cat furniture is strong, durable, and really reliable. Armor Cat's best in class cat trees and beds all come with six month warranties. Go to ArmorCat.com. That's A R M. A-R-K-A-T dot com and give your cat the tree they deserve and get 15% off using the code Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. In just a few minutes, we're going to tell you where to put your cat poop because apparently there's some people that are putting their cat poop in the wrong place. Is it just cat poop because, you know, Dogs poop too. Well, in this particular case, I think we're talking, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're talking about kitty litter, and I think people are taking it and they're putting it down their toilet. There are some other animals that use litter. Okay, so if you have any one of these animals that uses litter, you want to be listening up, especially if you're dumping it down the toilet, because there's more things that uh, could go wrong than plumbing problems. Also, Dr. Stephen Katz will be joining us, part of the proliferation of cannabis treats and hemp treats. Therapy. Therapy. You They're say therapy? Yes, uh, he doesn't, he's not calling them treats. It's not just a treat. It's, it's a therapy. It's, it's like a, a medicine? Yes, yes. There's okay. therapeutic benefits from For your product. dog? Yes. Or cat? Or is it just dog? I think it's just dog. Okay, we'll find out in just a few minutes. He's going to tell us why you should be feeding your animals this marijuana derivative and what, what it's good for. I always thought that uh, pot was dangerous for the animals, so I'm going to ask him. That's going to be my first question mm-hmm. or my second question. Because I have a list Are of questions. Are you hungry, too? I, <laughs> Do you have the munchies out? I, so t- <laughs> what are you working on yeah, over we, there? Um, we're going to find out. You know, it is incredibly more and more often people are saying, you know, you're, you're feeling guilty if you take your dog for a ride in the car and they're not secured somehow with a restraint. Now they're saying that some of these restraints, not so good. Mm. So we'll tell you really what the bottom line is on that. I'm always thinking about our animals and if they should be restrained and what kind of restraint to get for them. Because, you know, if I came to a sudden stop, they'd be a projectile. 
When we grew up, we didn't wear, you know, we rode in the back of pickup trucks. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't wear seatbelts, and now that's totally changed. You know, I've used a seatbelt for boss, and it really? saved him from getting you know, throttled into the, um, you know, a short stop that I did, and he could have hit the dashboard. Um, it's certainly not probably the best um, uh, seatbelt out there, but it was something, and it served its purpose, and I was really glad to have it at Now, the was time. it designed for animals and for dogs? Yeah, so it's a, a harness um, that fits into the seatbelt assembly. You know, high impact, I don't know how great it would have been, yeah. but this this kind of small, like almost near fender bender, it really did save him from getting scared, getting hurt. And, um, you know, I think we really need to push for more study. And um, Definitely. Yeah, you good. know, you always say something is better than nothing, but I think there actually are some products that could really be harmful in an accident. Mm-hmm. This is what Lori's going to be talking about in just a few minutes, because right. if you have a seatbelt for your animals, no matter where you got it or what brand it is or how safe you think it is, it is important that you hear what Lori has to say, because it's some revealing news about your brand of uh, seatbelt guaranteed on the way. So much for quiet, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you want to go to the phones, doctor? Let's do that. Toll yes, free, please. One eight six six four zero five eight four zero five. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. What's going on? Well, we got our little girl Joey. She's uh, she'll be seven years Joey? old in a couple of months, and uh, she's a long-haired gray domestic. And uh, lately, she's been you know fur balls come up once in a while, but lately she's not chewing her food up. We've got her on the. Uh, Purina Indoor Formula, an indoor cat, and uh, she always comes out of good health with all her checkups and everything, but she's not chewing it up. It's, it's shaped like little M&Ms, and, and they'll come out whole, you know, and mm, we're, okay. I'm, we're wondering what, what we can feed her, switch her to. Is she, you said she's been checked out by the veterinarian. Did they? Did she go to the vet recently? Uh, yeah, for her annual checkup. Okay. Because for me, when I hear the kitty is kind of vomiting up the food, um, the first thing is she's eating it, but she's just not really chewing it. She's just swallowing it as it is, right? Right. Okay. So now there are some different shape distinctions cats have, and uh, food manufacturers for dries, you know, they try to figure out the right shape that is most appealing. The truth is that some cats don't really chew all the shapes the same, and some will just really gulp it. And this is why some cats with no teeth can effectively eat dry food, um, because they don't always really spend a lot of time uh, masticating it, if you will. Um, But if your kitty is vomiting, I'd say, you know, this diet may not be a bad diet, but it's certainly would be something I would consider changing. The first thing I always start with with a kitty that's vomiting a food is, you know, it's reasonable to try a diet change, sometimes going towards more of a hypoallergenic variety um, rather than just saying I'm going to brand B, C, or D down, you know, the grocery aisle. So with that, you know, I would see your veterinarian, make sure we have a good checkup. We might want to get some basic tests done because in some cases vomiting is really more than just about diet problems. It can be about something else kind of going on inside. Um, so I wouldn't want to miss something of that magnitude and that importance. Um, so that would be my little commercial to, to, to see your vet and, and have more done than just that physical exam. Because as good as we are, we can't always tell everything by looking. Um, and so we do have to rely on those uh, clues, those tests, if you will. Um, but the the other part of your question is, what can you feed? You know, and there's an actually a whole new thought in cat nutrition that's really going out there. And this is totally different than what we learned you know, 10, 20 years ago in vet school. I'm not really that old. I'm just saying, people. (laughs) But um, the new mentality with cat nutrition is that we're actually looking at 
canned food as a good thing for a couple reasons. Um, we know that uh, it gives cats more opportunity to drink and take in more fluid. Um, and most times, you know, too many of the dry foods are really high in carbohydrates, and we really want a more protein-rich food with a lower carbohydrate content. And that sometimes the canned foods really fit th- fits that really well. And sometimes things like fiber really aren't going to be all that helpful, um, especially if we're having a constipation-type problem in some kitties. So while the hairball formula sounds like a great idea, I think I would probably consider even going to a canned variety, something that has lower fiber, higher in protein, low in carbohydrates, and gives your kitty more opportunity to drink and see how that goes. Um, but really, I would, I would definitely, if I had your baby here in front of me, I'd probably poke her with a needle, draw some blood, and maybe shoot an x-ray of her belly making sure there's nothing really awry that shows up on there how's that for like a whole prescription there mark (laughs) perfect i got it all scribbled down we were kind of thinking maybe a a canned food would be a better way to go if you're living with diabetes and using insulin you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a Continuous Glucose Monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. You're listening to Animal Radio. Find us at AnimalRadio.com. Log on, learn more. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. Did you hear about the dog that went out to do her business and returned a few moments later as a crime-fighting hero? Miley is a black lab mix, and she will now receive a congratulatory certificate for bringing home a pound of marijuana that started an investigation by the Jones County, Mississippi Sheriff's Office. Here's how it happened. It was just a few weeks ago. Miley left the house on her, you know, routine bathroom outing, and she brought back what appeared at first to the owners to be trash, and she had already torn through the packaging. But on closer inspection, Miley's owner suspected, hmm, you know, this looks kind of funny. It (laughs) might be marijuana. So she contacted authorities. And Miley, by the way, could fetch up to $1,000 reward for her big fine. Wow, that's a lot of dog bones. $1,000 worth of dog bones? (laughs) It sure is. And a lonely dog from Hendersonville, North Carolina, had little chance of being noticed and rescued from the neglectful life he had been subjected to. But all of that changed thanks to a group of construction workers who were working next door and they noticed him. The dog's name is Demo and he was living in a muddy outside pen chained up on the property of a house that was vacant. Now, Demo had no real shelter outside other than a plastic doghouse that was sunk about a foot in some mud. Well, it turns out they found out the owner was in jail and family members occasionally and occasionally stopped by to check on the dog. But 
All they did literally was toss food into the muddy pen. So just last month, a report on the dog situation went viral, and city officials there in Hendersonville were able to persuade the prisoner's elderly father to give up custody of the dog, who is now called Noah. And for Noah, the days being spent alone, shivering in the mud, and with no loving human touch are gone forever because he's had several offers of adoption coming in from all over the world. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Over the last few months, we've talked about several different cannabis-based treats that are available for your animals. And uh, this is always curious to me because I always thought, first of all, that the pot was bad for your animals. And apparently there's therapeutic values to it as there is with human medicinal marijuana, I guess. It Uh, depends on the extracts, yes. So are there certain extracts that are, are, are different than others? Yes, yeah, absolutely. The you know, there's some that have more potential for some of the euphoria and the bad signs oh. that we see in a toxicity of dogs. And then those that which don't have that but still, you know, have some finding for anti-anxiety benefits or uh, anti-inflammatory benefits. Um but it's a challenging area because you know, veterinarians can't prescribe marijuana. It's not permitted. Mm, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, so until the DEA kind of reclassifies things, um, you can't go to your veterinarian and have them prescribe marijuana for you. Okay, okay. Good to know. And Dr. Stephen Katz, I believe we've had him on the show before. Doctor, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to be on for the first time. Well, welcome. We're all very curious about your therapist, which is a cannabinoid. Uh, how do you sell it? It's got a form. It's a, it's a formula okay. with a hemp powder base that has a uh, numerous uh, natural ingredients that also includes the compound known as cannabidiol, otherwise known as CBD, which is a compound, a cannabinoid found in the marijuana plant that has absolutely no psychogenic capability whatsoever. So they don't get high off it. At all, at all. No. Okay. It, the, the, there are right now over 80 different separable cannabinoids, uh, which are compounds found in the cannabis plant. Many of those have great medicinal potential. There is only one, Delta 9 THC, that gets you high. Okay? That is the only one. I am also uh, a New York State Assemblyman and at a, a, an Assembly Health Committee hearing about medical marijuana there were 20 different people who gave testimony i expected it to be primarily people with you know uh chronic back pain uh uh cancer patients pancreatic cancer uh people receiving chemotherapy treatments <coughs> excuse me but aren't they talking about the the full-blown marijuana that uh does not that it's not separated from the THC. No, no that's why I, I, I want to disabuse you of that. that okay, please. No way, marijuana that gets you high that also, by the way, does these other things. These are uh, these are compounds such as CBD, which are organically extracted using what is called supercritical CO2 extraction. Most importantly, how will this help animals? 
How will this, um, uh, is for it? For example, my, I have three formulations right now. Okay. One is called Up and, up and Moving. Uh-huh. One is called uh, Calm and Quiet. And the other one is called Stop the Itch. Okay. The um, Up and Moving is a, formula, a formulation that contains things such as, yes, hemp powder that is derived from the uh, seed, stem, and leaf of a of an industrial hemp plant, you know, the things that they use to make rope and dresses and, and put into creams for women. Um, and the uh, CBD is a well-known anti-inflammatory, among its other properties. Uh, for example, in my practice, separation anxiety, I have one of the largest pit bull practices in the country. I heard about that. Congratulations on that, by the way. I think that's Thank very you. cool. Um, in my practice, client leaves the house, comes back home, half his wall's been eaten. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so the common quiet, which you start seeing uh, its action within 20 minutes, does exactly that. It's great for uh, dogs that are either traveling in a car or going in an air, small uh, dogs that are going in airplanes with their owners. I've had incredibly uh, successful results with things like that. So how is it administered? Uh, is it in pill, capsule, it's, it's chews? It's administered as a highly palatable powder that you can either, you know, throw into some peanut butter and make a ball, you know, make a treat out of it, or you put it right on the food. And uh, it's highly palatable. We did our initial palatability study with 50 dogs, and 49 of them loved it. And one was an idiot, so he doesn't count. <laughs> so so uh, I, I, I really need for you to understand that I am not using medical marijuana. We are using, number one, it's derived from hemp, which is different than marijuana. It sounds like hemp. they spend a lot of time defending this. Well, because you keep, I kept hearing you talk about marijuana for dogs, okay? And this is not marijuana. Okay. Okay, and it's very important for you to understand the difference, and it's sort of what my mission is over the next few years to train and teach about the medical properties of the cannabinoids that are found in the marijuana plant. Um, so this can that be is what is important to me. No, none of this stuff gets them high. So this and is obviously that's the first question that everybody asks me. Well, it's it's actually on your sheet here of questions to ask you, so that might be why. But that being said, I understand the difference. Thank you for for clarifying that. So this is legal. It can be shipped all over the country. Correct. It has to be derived from industrial hemp grown outside of the United States and extracted. (coughs) Excuse me. The cannabidiol uh, extracted outside of the United States. So, in other words... I am employing the good people of Sweden, Spain, and Canada, and not the good people in Kentucky. Dr. Stephen Katz, the website is uh, therapist.com. Of course, links to everything you've heard on today's show over at animalradio.com. Hi, it's Alan Cable with another dog tip. Folks call Animal Radio a lot with training questions. How do I get my dog to do this and to stop doing that? Well, we all know what a hassle housework can be, right? Imagine if your dog did the cleaning for you. I know what you're thinking. That's impossible, but it isn't. You're about to meet Jesse, the Jack Russell Terrier. He cleans up spills. He vacuums, dusts, even shines his owner Heather's shoes. So how did Heather train him to do it? Well, it's easier than you might think. Your dog might not be able to do housework, 
but there's so many things you can teach your dog just by taking advantage of his nature. Jesse showed a knack for tricks early on. So here's what we always talk about on the show and how Heather taught her dog Jesse to do housework. I guess positive reinforcement when they're doing something that you like, basically encourage them. So when your dog is doing something you like, you tell him he's a good dog and give him a treat. Set him up for success. A lot of it involves patience, just waiting for your dog to do something, no matter what it is, that you like. Jesse, go scooter. First, Jesse put his paws on the scooter and she praised him, gave him treats. Next, he put his paws up and he made it move. Again, she praised him and gave him treats. Good boy. Heather was there every step of the way to reward Jesse. So how do we apply this to your dog? Let's take something really basic like lying down in the same spot. You can guide your dog to that spot and have your dog go down or you can just wait till your dog goes to the spot and goes down. Either way, when your dog goes to that spot and lies down, you give your dog praise and a treat. Now to take it to the next step, have somebody ring your doorbell. When it happens, guide your dog to that spot with your body and have him lie down. If he looks like he's getting geared up to bark, give him a really quick correction, either with a poke with your fingers, a quick snap of the leash, or a loud sound to refocus his mind. When he does, hold up your hand like a stop sign, and when you get him to stay, you give him a treat, tell him what a good dog he is. Over time, you're going to see your dog going to that spot more and more often when you're around, and eventually he'll automatically go there when the doorbell rings. He's going to start to associate being in that spot with praise and treats. Get more tips at AnimalRadio.com. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143. 800-689-0143. 800-689-0143. That's 800-689-0143. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. A Dr. Debbie White. We never yes. say white, but I want people no. to know that you, you... She does have a last name. She does have a last name. She, uh, you know, A lot of these vets, they, uh, they go by the first names. And you know what's funny is my actual doctors, my doctors, they'll never do that. That would be... If I even called them by their first name, I'd probably... It's a funny thing. I I was offended by it when I first ended practice, when people would call me my first name. And, you know, I think putting Debbie and doctor together is actually, it's kind of a... It's catchy. It's a a friendly term. It is. And still recognizing you're a veterinarian. You've earned a a doctorate, you know, so I think it's it's great. It's a great combination of both. What do you think about pot... Or the uh, the derivatives of pot for keeping quiet and calm and itch and uh, muscle and joint problems. Well, I think this this is a very interesting topic, and a lot of people in the medical world, world human ver- and or veterinary, recognize there are beneficial compounds coming out of the marijuana plant. The problem really is that, and he he alluded to that, he can't, you know, we can't have this produced in the U.S. because it's not allowed at this time. Uh, a veterinarian can't prescribe 
medicinal marijuana or cannabinoids for a dog um, for fear of losing their license. Um, it is, it's a, a schedule of drug we are not permitted to pre- prescribe. Mm-hmm. So it really has to become something through regulation. And he, he obviously has been very passionate about that in trying to maybe make some changes so that it can be considered. Because we want to do quality studies. We want to do things where we can actually measure the milligrams of something and not just put it in a nutraceutical and say it's in there, it's going to have a benefit. We yeah. want to measure that. And I think that's, it's really got to change the whole, um, you know, system in the U.S. to have that accepted and studied in a formulated way. I think they'll get there, but right now I'm not ready to test it on my dog. Nope. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd have to agree. I'd like to see some work done. Uh, yeah. A little more. Well, we certainly appreciate Dr. Katz coming on and telling us his side of the story, and time will tell. But I think they'll get there. Time to hang with Doc Halligan once again. And I got to tell you, the big controversy around here is whether to flush or not to flush. Now, I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about oh, the no. bathrooms here at uh, the Animal Radio Studios. Not I'm, the human waste. Not, not the human waste. Uh, I'm talking about kitty litter because, you know, there's a lot of kitty litters out there that uh, they say they're flushable. And I'll tell you, the reason I don't flush my kitty litter down the toilet is really pretty simple is that it would clog it up. Yeah, I've never done it. I know a lot of the litters that are out there that I've seen say you can, but I've never done it. But there's more to it than just that. More than just clogging it up. Doc, what's it all about? Yes, you're absolutely right. Septic systems were not designed to break down cat feces or litter. So if you do that, you are going to have a hefty plumbing bill. And the plumbers are just, you know, frustrated because they can't believe people actually do that. So yet you're right. You don't want to flush for that reason. But there's even a more important reason that people don't realize. When you're flushing cat feces down the toilet, some cats will have a protozoan in their feces called toxoplasma. And, oh, I've uh, heard about that. It, toxoplasmosis? Toxoplasmosis is the disease that you get from, oh, okay. from toxoplasma gondii, which is the parasite, if you will. That is in, that's present like an undercooked, uh, meat in, uh, unpasteurized milk in the soil. Well, sometimes cats can be afflicted with this and they'll be shedding it in their stool. So if that happens to happen and it, then it gets into the ocean, what happens is it sinks down to the bottom and the little crabs and anchovies, everything, the bottom feeders eat that. And then the sea lions eat that and they will, they can actually die from this parasite. And wow. there's research that shows that in California, 17% of the dead otters examined by the Department of Fish and Game, the cause of death was this parasite. So sea otters are particularly sensitive to toxoplasma. Okay, so let me get this straight. If we flush our kitty litter down the toilet, not only do we have to deal with the plumber and all of that, uh, but Mm -hmm. we could actually be killing uh, sea otters and marine wildlife, is what you're saying. 100%. Wow. Yes, and in fact, California actually discourages the flushing of used cat litter. And they have uh, legislation now that requires um, labeling on all flushable cat litter to warn consumers about the danger of flushing. So they'll be in like fine print on the packaging of litter that says it's okay to flush. If you look, it'll say that the state of California prohibits it. Wow, or I didn't is know against that. that. The best thing to do, Hal, yes. is to take it, and in a um, biodegradable bag and put it in the trash and then it will go into the landfills 
And, you know, that's the safest place for the kitty litter. Like in the wild, it would get buried up, right? Yep. In the dirt. So I, I would suspect, yes. That's what, you know, if a cat was looking to take a poop somewhere, they would do it in the dirt and then they would cover it up and then Mother Nature would, you know. Take care of it from there. Compost it from there. Take care of it. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of these litters that try to make it seem like that's so bad for the environment when it's the exact opposite. You know, flushing is really bad for the environment, but just putting it in a biodegradable paper bag, not the plastic, but paper, and then just putting it in the trash, it'll end up going through the normal waste management, which is the way it should be. That's good to know. Not a lot of people talk about how we should get rid of our waste, and that's so important to know. Yeah, don't flush it down the toilet. Uh, maybe you, you live in a house where the, the plumbing is awesome and you can do that kind of stuff. But there's another reason not to do that there. So I'm going to put all this information because there's a lot of numbers here. There's a little bit of research behind this. I'm going to put this information mm-hmm. up over at the website at animalradio.com. And, of course, you could learn more over at lucypetproducts.com. Absolutely. There's a lot of information on our website now, especially under Cats Incredible. We have tons of information to educate people on kitties. Doc Halligan, thanks so much for joining us again. All right. Thanks for having me. Okay. It's another beautiful day outside. So we're going to get on out, take the animals on out for a walk. We encourage you to do the same. Let's go. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. See you later. This is Animal Animal. Radio Network. Network.